0: As the kids are making their way to their classes, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn in them to the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. As we've been making our way through the book of Acts, one thing has become clear to us, and that is that there seems to be almost a kind of dual focus in the book of Acts. On the one hand, we find our, our focus drawn to the apostles themselves as we read the scriptures and we think about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and as we look at the book of Acts from their perspective, it teaches us some important lessons and some important principles that the church should apply today as we see the apostles seeking to be witnesses for Jesus in their culture and in their mission field, we see that we can apply these things to how we should be witnesses for Jesus in our culture and in our mission field. But on the other hand, there seems to also be a focus on the Spirit of God in the book of Acts. And in focusing on His actions, we begin to learn some very important truths about Him that are important for us to embrace. That He cares for His children. That He guides His children in mission. That He gives us the words and the power and the opportunities to proclaim His gospel and ultimately how the Spirit converts sinners into saints through the gospel. You see, the book of Acts is a story not only of the acts of the apostles, but also of the acts of the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit who invaded the apostles and the early followers of Christ at Pentecost, also today indwells every believer who has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit who guided the apostles on their various missionary journeys is the same Spirit who guides us today as we seek to be witnesses of Jesus in our time, in our place. The very same Holy Spirit who gave the apostles the power and the words and the opportunities to proclaim the gospel in their setting does the same today and... The very same Holy Spirit who opened the hearts of unbelievers to see and respond to the truth of the gospel is the same Holy Spirit who opens the hearts of unbelievers today to do the same. So this morning, I want us to back up a bit. If you're new with us, last week we covered part of what we're going to cover this morning. And I want us to back up a bit and cover part of what we covered last week, particularly in the Macedonian call as well as we, as we look at the conversion of Lydia there in Philippi that we just briefly touched on last week. And the reason why I want to go back and, and recover some of that is because when we looked at that last week, we looked at it from the perspective of the apostles. And as we did so, we talked about how the apostles had conflict with one another because of what to do with John Mark and whether or not to bring him on the mission, we, we looked at how the apostles <clears throat> excuse me, learned how to contextualize the gospel and not compromise truth, and we talked about how the apostles learned to be guided by the Holy Spirit, that they discerned the spirit's leading as The Spirit prevented them from going the southern route and then prevented them from going the northern route and then gave them a call to cross the Aegean Sea over into Macedonia. And that door was opened to Europe for the gospel by way of Troas. And when we looked at that passage from the perspective of the apostles, we learned that we too can be guided by the Holy Spirit as we seek to be witnesses for Jesus in our context and in our mission. That doors will be shut others will be opened, that we, we can discern the Spirit's guidance in the context of community and the body of Christ, and that we need to exercise patience and flexibility because the Spirit provides guidance in spits and spurts, progressively, not all at once. And those were good, those were important lessons for us to, to learn and embrace and apply as we seek to be faithful to the Great Commission in our culture. But this morning, I want us to look at this passage again, not all of it, but particularly beginning with verse 6. And I want us to focus not on the apostles as we did last week, but focus on the Spirit of God. What was He doing? Why was He doing it? And what what does that teach us about our God? So let's read Acts 16, beginning in verse 6, and we'll continue through verse 15. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we ask now that you would attend to the reading of your word with your precious Holy Spirit, whom we learn about in this passage. Father, I pray that uh, you would give us not only a better understanding of what is said and what is meant, but by your Spirit, you would plant these truths about Him so deeply on our heart and mind that we would learn to rely on the Holy Spirit and be thankful for His work in our lives and in the lives of those whom He is calling to Himself. Enlarge our picture and our gratefulness for the work of Your Spirit, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to dive right in. There are three truths in this passage about the Holy Spirit and his activity in missions. Three truths about the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and his role, his activity in missions that we learn in this passage. And the first truth is that the Spirit of God sometimes closes doors to the gospel. The Spirit of God sometimes closes doors to the gospel. Now, as we learned last week, there is a difference between a door that God closes and a barrier that is to be overcome with persistence and perseverance. And so last week, we talked a lot about how to discern the difference between those things, whether God is guiding us away from that and closing a door, or whether it's simply a barrier to overcome. But that's not what I want to focus on this week. This week, I want us to focus on the reality that sometimes the Spirit of God Closes doors to the gospel. What's that about and why does he do it? Because that's what he does here. That's what he does. He closes the door in two different directions. In verse 6, they're trying to go the southern route through the Roman colony of Asia. That's the road that leads them to Ephesus. Lots of people along that route and he closes the door. He says, the Spirit of God forbade them from... Taking the word there. So they turn north. Verse 7 says that they try to go the northern route up through Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus prevented them from going that way. Now, don't be thrown off track by the fact that it is the Holy Spirit in verse 6 and the Spirit of Jesus in verse 7. Dr. Luke is simply here affirming the Trinitarian nature of our God in this passage as he refers to the holy to, to God the Spirit in verse 6, God the Son in verse 7, and then God the Father in verse 10, as he says that they concluded that God was calling them to preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. When we say that the Spirit of God sometimes closes doors to the gospel, we're saying that God sometimes closes doors to the gospel. And the means that God uses to do that is the third person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit but why why would God choose to close these doors to the gospel does he have something against the people who lived along that southern route well of course he doesn't because later in this very same journey Paul will come back with his companions and visit Ephesus in fact He will spend more time in Ephesus both on this missionary journey and the next one than he does in any other single location. But that still begs the question, why did God close these doors to the gospel in this place at this time? And in seeking to determine an answer to that, we ought to consider the implications of Paul and his companions being prevented from going on that southern route and being prevented from going on the northern route because some of those people died. Some of those people in the ensuing time from when Paul left that area of Asia Minor and spent all those many months in Greece and Macedonia and Corinth and whatnot, some of those people in that area passed away having never heard the gospel. And they went to a Christless eternity forever. When they get to Macedonia, they're going to encounter three people in particular, some of whom we'll look at this morning, some of whom we'll look at next week. Three people who are radically converted and transformed by the gospel. Lydia, the the wealthy merchant, the slave girl that's being used by the other merchants in Philippi, and the Philippian jailer. And because the Spirit of God leads Paul and his companions from Asia Minor to cross the Aegean Sea into Macedonia, because the Spirit of God redirects them and brings them to Macedonia, the lives and eternal destinies of those three people are changed forever. But in saying yes to Lydia, the slave girl, and the Philippian jailer, the Spirit of God was also saying no to people along that southern route and people along the northern route, people behind closed doors, doors that had been closed to the gospel, and they had been closed by God himself. So there's a lot at stake here in the route that Paul and his companions would take. They're carrying with them the antidote to the world's deadliest virus, the virus of sin, which is 100% lethal. And the antidote is the gospel. And the Spirit of God prevents that antidote from going to the people in the south and from going to the people in the north and instead calls them westward to Macedonia. And so we are here confronted with the sovereignty of God, both in salvation and in missions. Now, we know that these other doors, by God's sovereign grace, would open to the gospel later. We know that the door to the gospel to those along the southern route would open up later in this very same missionary journey as Paul and his companions make, his way to, make their way to Ephesus and plant the church there and preach the gospel there and many come to know him. And the door to the northern route, we know that that would eventually open up as well because that route... In Bithynia, that today is modern-day Istanbul, which centuries earlier was known by the name of Constantinople, which for centuries has been the capital of the Eastern Christian Church. So the gospel eventually arrived in both places, but not for the people of Paul's day. So why did the Holy Spirit close these doors to the gospel at this time. And the only answer that we can come up with from the scriptures is that because God intended in his sovereign wisdom at this particular point in time to get the gospel to Macedonia. That was his plan. That was his sovereign and timeless will at this point. But Paul and Silas and Timothy didn't know that. They, they didn't know that at this point. All they knew that th- was that these doors to the gospel going the southern route and going the north route, northern route were being closed. And so they simply had to trust that God knew what He was doing and continue to follow Him. They had to trust that God knew what He was doing in preventing them from going south and going north. So there's a, there's a principle here for us to embrace. Yes, God is sovereign in salvation. God is sovereign in missions. And as a result of this, sometimes God closes doors to the gospel. And when he does, it's our place simply to trust him, even if we don't know why he's closing those doors. Three years ago, we were on a plan to plant a church up in Flowery Branch. We felt like we were following what we felt like the Lord was leading us to do. And through a series of events, the most prominent of which was this little thing called the coronavirus. Global pandemic, small little thing. But it became clear to us that God was saying no. That he was preventing us from moving forward with that. We didn't know why, but it was clear to us that God was sovereignly closing that door. And now, three years later, three years later, he makes it clear to us that there's there's another call. There's there's a, a Jackson County call, like Paul received a Macedonian call to plant a church in Jackson County. But in those Ensuing three years, we didn't know what God was doing in closing that door to Flowery Branch. None of us knew. In fact, quite honestly, there were a few voices that questioned whether or not the elders had actually heard correctly from the Lord. And I guess if we did, we're in good company. Because Paul and Silas and Timothy here also attempted to go somewhere that the Spirit of God ended up preventing them from going. God didn't change his mind, but he did change Paul, Silas, and Timothy's mind. And though they didn't understand why, and, and they didn't even know where they were supposed to go next, where the Spirit might lead them next, they submitted to his sovereign leadership, and they changed course, and they redirected their mission. Church, I hope that over the last three years we have learned this lesson well because I suspect that it's not the last time that the Lord will choose to lead us in this way and have us redirect our course. God is sovereign and sometimes he closes the door to the gospel and when he does, we must learn to trust him even though we don't understand why. That's the first truth that we learn about the Spirit of God in mission. Second truth is that the Spirit of God gets the gospel where he wants it. The Spirit of God is going to get his gospel where he intends for it to go at a particular time. So when Paul and his counterparts get to Troas, we're told that Paul receives this vision of a man, a man from Macedonia, that is urging him to come over and help them. And the apostle, along with the consultation of the brothers who are with him on this journey, together they conclude that this is God calling them to preach the gospel to the people in Macedonia. Again, last week we talked about how Paul discerned this. And how we too can discern the Spirit's leading and guiding in gospel mission. But this week, again, I want us to look at this from the perspective of the Spirit of God. God wants to get the gospel to Macedonia. So what does He do? He sends a vision to Paul in the night of a man from Macedonia, urging him, come over and help us. Come over and help us. First, God redirects them from going other places, and then he opens a door for them to go to this place. God wants the gospel in Macedonia, and so he does whatever is necessary in order for it to get there. And the means that God always uses to get his gospel somewhere is to move his people there so that they might proclaim it to them, and that's what he does. God wants to get the gospel to Macedonia and in his sovereignty he has in mind God has in mind in this call to Macedonia all those who will come to him in faith who have been chosen by him before the foundation of the world so he has in mind in this call the the wealthy merchant Lydia the slave girl he has in mind the Philippian jailer in, in his household, he has in mind all those who will come to Christ in faith on this mission. The, the people of Thessalonica, the people of Berea, the people of Athens, the people of the city of Corinth even. All those on the other side of the Aegean Sea that are part of this call to Macedonia. Years later, when Paul is in prison in Rome. He will write a letter to the church at Ephesus. The the folks that he will visit later on this very same missionary journey. And he will write in chapter 1 verse 4 of that letter that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And I can't help but think that when Paul was writing that, he was thinking of Lydia. He was thinking of the slave girl. He was thinking of the Philippian jailer in his household. That God had chosen them before the foundation of the world. I want to read from Paul's letter, that whole passage there. And, and as I do, I want you to think about the fact that God had chosen those who would come to him in faith in Macedonia from before the foundation of the world and that this was on his heart as he called paul and silas and timothy and the others to cross the aegean sea to redirect their course and come to europe paul writes this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, and His will never changes. It is timeless. It began in eternity past, and it's still going, and it will be accomplished And so he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his sovereign and timeless will. To the praise of his glorious grace, he gets all the credit with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then Paul gets to the particulars of what was accomplished here. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We've been redeemed back By the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. As Paul is relishing the the reality that God had chosen him to be in Christ Before the foundation of the world. He recognizes that God had not only done this for him. But he had done this for the other brothers and sisters there in Ephesus. And we know that God also did this for his children in Macedonia. That he also did this for the saints in Europe. For the saints who would come to him in Africa. And for the saints that would come to him in North America. Friend, even you and I today. Wherever God wants the gospel, he's going to do whatever he needs to do to get the gospel there. And his means for doing so is always in calling his people to go there to proclaim that gospel to them. I think here about the Malayali people of Papua New Guinea. Years ago, the Lord wanted the gospel to go to a remote, unreached tribe on the island of Papua New Guinea. And because he wanted to get the gospel there, he was going to do whatever he needed to do to get it there. And so he gave a call to Chad and Martha Earle, who we have the privilege of supporting along with a handful of other missionaries, on a journey like Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Sent them on a journey to bring the gospel to the Malayali people in their own language. That was years ago. And church, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, was the very first gathering of the very first church of new believers among the Malayali people. Among the believers gathering there was a guy named Simon Jacob, a guy that I had the privilege of praying for for the last several months, and I know many of you have been praying for, by name, some of these people. Along with Simon were his brother Sam and his other brother John, And I actually contacted Chad and Martha and asked them, do you know the names of all those who have come to faith in Christ? You know, we've been talking about what God has been doing among the Malayali, that they have invested years in learning the language, coming up with a written language, teaching it to them, and then teaching them the story of the scriptures, and then holding out the gospel to them. And people have been coming to faith in Christ. Chad sent me, I got it last night at midnight. He sent me a list of names. Here it is. And it's page after page after page. And next to those who've come to faith in Christ is the word yes. And, and and Chad in his email back to me said that, that the ones who have said yes are those who've responded to faith in Christ, and they call them the gotten back ones, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 84 Malayali brothers and sisters and county. Praise God. <laughs> and every single one of those names is not just written on this list written by a missionary a few weeks ago but their names were written in the lamb's book of life as we're told in revelation 17 before the foundation of the world he chose each of them according to the apostle paul in ephesians 1 he chose them to be in christ before the foundation of the world And because he chose them before the foundation of the world, he was going to get the gospel to them however he could and whatever it took. A couple of applications come to mind here. Number one is just to be thankful, right? To be thankful first that that God has gone to such lengths to bring the gospel to us. We didn't deserve to be saved. We didn't deserve for the God of the universe to go to such lengths to to bring the gospel to us, much less to our now new brothers and sisters in Christ on the other side of the globe. So we are overwhelmed. We ought to erupt in gratefulness and thanks that God would bring the gospel to the likes of sinners like us. Secondly, listen for God's call. If you know Jesus as Lord, then he's issued a call on your life to a mission field as well. So what is it? Apparently, he wants your neighbors to be exposed to the gospel because he caused you to live next to them. Are you heeding that call? Am I heeding that call? Is there something to repent of there? Is there an opportunity to take advantage of there? But also, for some here, I'm convinced, for some here, God is calling you to leave Troas and go to Macedonia. God is calling you to leave here and go there, somewhere else, somewhere perhaps where the gospel has yet to go, And why? Because there are yet people groups that are unreached. There are people groups that are out of reach of the gospel. The gospel has not yet come to them. But we know that God is redeeming a people from every tribe, language, and nation to be his. And he has chosen some From that unreached people group. From before the foundation of the world to be his. And he will do whatever is needed to get the gospel to them. Could it be, young person, mom and dad, bear with me for a second. Could it be, young person, could it be, sir, ma'am, that God is calling you. To leave what is known and go to what is unknown. To get the gospel to those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. From before the foundation of the world. Listen, church. Listen for God's call. But for those here who have not yet come to faith in Christ. Please know. That. If. God has chosen you from before the foundation of the world to be his. Doesn't it make sense that he would ensure that he has you within earshot of the gospel this morning. So that you might be his. Doesn't that just make sense think don't think for a moment that you're here by accident just as God redirected Paul and his companions to go to Macedonia to reach the likes of Lydia. And just as God redirected Chad and Martha Earle To take them to Papua New Guinea. To reach the likes of Saman, Jacob. And 83 other of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. So perhaps God has orchestrated the life. The events of your life. To bring you within an earshot of the gospel this morning. So that he might reach you. But how exactly does he do that? How exactly does a sinner get saved simply by hearing the gospel? Well, to put it simply, he doesn't. No one is saved simply by hearing. It takes more than hearing. It takes more than proclaiming. Those, though those are necessary, they are not in and of themselves efficacious. Not everyone who hears the gospel comes to faith in Christ. So what else needs to happen? Well, what else needs to happen is what happens to Lydia in the next part of our passage. And that's the third truth about the Spirit's role and mission. First, the Spirit of God sometimes closes doors to the gospel. Second, the Spirit of God gets the gospel where he wants it. And then third, the Spirit of God converts sinners by opening their hearts to the gospel so they get to philippi they get to the city and there's not a synagogue there they can't gather in the synagogue because there isn't one according to jewish tradition you need 10 jewish men in order to gather as a synagogue so there's not at least 10 jewish men in the city of philippi but there are some faithful jewish women and paul and his companions hear that they gather for prayer at the riverside and so where do paul and his companions go they go down to the river so that seek to bring the gospel to these Jewish women who are gathering down there. That's always where Paul starts. And as he's there, one of the people who is gathering there is a woman named Lydia, a-, a Gentile, wealthy merchant in the city. And we're told that she was a worshiper of God. And so like Cornelius of Caesarea that we read about earlier, She was a proselyte. She believed in the Jewish God. She believed in Yahweh. She worshipped Yahweh. But like Cornelius, she also needed the gospel. And apparently, by his sovereign grace, God had chosen Lydia from before the foundation of the world. Her name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so... Not only did he get the gospel to her, but also, as he says in verse 14, he opened her heart to the gospel. Verse 14 says that that God opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, most other English translations will say here that God opened her heart to respond to what Paul said. You see, the idea is not just that her her mind's attention was was open to listening to what Paul had to say, but that her heart was stirred, her heart was moved to seriously consider it and ultimately to respond to it. You see, it it took a heart change. It, It took a change of heart for this wealthy merchant in Philippi named Lydia to respond to the gospel in faith. And the reason why it took a heart change is because Lydia, as Paul will later say in Ephesians chapter 2, was dead in her trespasses and sins. Her spirit was dead because of sin. Which is the same as true for every single one of us apart from Christ. Her her spirit was dead because of sin. That part of her that was made to commune with God could not commune with God because it was deadened by sin. God put it this way through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36. He says to the people, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And that's what the spirit does in those whom he has chosen before, from before the foundation of the world. He gets the gospel to them. He, he, he puts his people near them somehow. Somehow. And then he has his people proclaim the good news of Jesus to them. And then he opens their heart to the gospel. As he says through the prophet Ezekiel there, he takes their heart of stone. Their cold, dead heart that's dead because of sin, that's hard to the things of God. He takes that and he replaces it with a heart of flesh that is soft to the things of God. And as a result of this, they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ as their only hope for rescue from sin and death. They turn to God by faith in Christ. But the point here is that they would not turn to him if he had not done this heart work. If he had not replaced their cold dead heart with a new heart. God regenerates Lydia here. He gives her new life. He puts his spirit in her. He opens her heart to the gospel. And as a result of this, out of that new heart, out of that new life, she repents and believes, and she is forgiven, and she is redeemed, and she is reconciled back to the God who made her for his glory. And we know that this is what happens to her because we're told that she's baptized here. And we've learned already in walking through the book of Acts that the early church only baptized believers, those who had given evidence of saving faith in Christ. And so Lydia is baptized, and and we're told that others in her household are also baptized. They also believe and are baptized. This would include uh, perhaps members of her family, uh, perhaps servants who are working in her household. And then we see evidence of her new life in Christ, her new heart as she prevails upon the apostles to stay with her as she opens up with a heart of generosity. Now she opens up her house for them to stay with her while they do ministry there in the city. But none of this would have happened if God had not opened her heart to the gospel. And friend, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope for rescue from sin and death, He has done the very same thing in you. You would have never come to faith in Christ if God had not taken that heart of stone out and replaced it with a heart of flesh. Whether you were a child when you came to faith in Christ or or a 17-year-old like I was or whether you were an adult when God saved you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, as Paul says, with a dead spirit, a cold, hard heart. And God did two things. Number one, he brought the gospel to you. He used his people to proclaim his gospel to you, whether it was a friend, whether it was a parent, whether it was a a preacher on television. He brought God's people to you to proclaim the gospel to you. And then he opened your heart to it. And praise God that he did that, right? Praise God. Praise God for choosing you from before the foundation of the world to be his. To be part of his family, one of his children. Not by any merit of your own, but simply by the sovereign grace of God. And by that sovereign grace, he brought the gospel to you and then he opened your heart to it. Praise God. And since this requires the Spirit of God to convert a sinner from a sinner into a saint, this means that we should spend more time on our knees for those who need Christ. We need to spend more time praying for our lost friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, because only God can do this. We can try to answer their questions, and we should. We can try to convince them of the truth, and we should. We can try to display the transformation that the gospel has wrought in our hearts as evidence of the truth of the gospel. And we ought to do that as well. But unless the Lord does a work in their heart they will never come to faith in Jesus. Regeneration is a work of God, not man. And so we ought to be on our knees begging that God would do a a work in the hearts of our lost friends, neighbors, and coworkers. So what names are you bringing before the throne of grace begging that God would do heart surgery on them? And maybe you're here this morning and you've not come to faith in Jesus yet. My question to you is, why not? What's keeping you from placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope? What's preventing you from repenting of your sin and self-rule and turning to Christ and His rule over you? What's keeping you from placing your faith in Jesus's perfect life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection as your only hope for rescue from sin and certain judgment? Friend, listen to me. If you don't have a good answer to those questions, perhaps it's because he's already done that heartwork work in you. Perhaps it's because he's already taken that cold, dead heart that's hard to the things of God. And he's replaced it with a heart of flesh. And you are now softened to the things of God. So that now you can do that which previously you couldn't. Repent genuinely of your sinfulness. Repent genuinely of your own self-rule. And trust in Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection, as your only hope. You couldn't previously, but now that He has given you new life, now that He has put His Spirit within you, now you can. If that describes you, then friend, come to Christ in faith this morning. Turn from your sin and self-rule and turn to Christ and His rule over your life. Confess your belief in His perfect life that He achieved a righteousness that you never could, a righteousness that you must have if you will stand before God one day and make it through it. Confess your belief that He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Confess your belief that His atoning death paid the penalty that you deserve to pay. Confess your belief that He rose three days later Proving that He had defeated sin and death for all those who would trust in Him. If you would, this morning, repent of your sins and trust in Christ alone to save you, you will only do that because He has already done hard work on you. And so I beg of you, come to faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your plan of redemption that is perfect and is mind-boggling at the same moment. Father, there, it is no coincidence that we call it amazing grace. How could a God of such perfection and holiness have mercy and grace on sinners who had rebelled against him only if your son is the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world, who achieved the righteousness that we must have, died in our place on the cross and rose three days later proving that he was your son. Father, we pray for those among us perhaps in this room, perhaps in our family, perhaps in our neighborhoods and workplaces who have yet to profess faith in Christ. God, we ask that you would do heart work on them. We beg of you, God, that you would remove that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, which only you can do. And then, Lord, lead them across the line of faith to trust in Jesus. God, would you even this morning redeem for yourself worshipers of your glory father as those whom you have rescued by grace through faith we want to express our thanks to you our gratefulness our humble gratefulness lord to bring the gospel to us and to open our hearts to the gospel but in faith we thank you so much lord that you would condescend yourself to become a man and to go on a cross to die for us and that you would, in your sovereign grace and wisdom, bring your people to bring the gospel to bear on our lives and then open up our heart to respond to it. And Father, as we consider the grace that you have shown us in this, we know that you have us here walking and breathing on this planet still for the sole purpose of continuing to reach others with this same good news. And so, Father, we lift up our children who don't know you yet by faith. We lift up others in our families, extended families. We lift up our neighbors, our co-workers. And, Father, we recognize that perhaps we're the missionary that you have placed a call to. Perhaps we're the the children of yours that that you've placed in close proximity to them, that we might be the ones to deliver this good news so that according to your sovereign grace and wisdom and bringing them new life in Christ, they might come to faith in Jesus and they might belong to you as well. We ask that you would continue your work of redeeming your children to yourself through the gospel. Make us faithful as a church to be obedient to that mission. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.